Welcome to another episode. Hello, Father. Hello, Shane. And good to see you. You too. Welcome back from your vacation. It's a good one. Oh, we're in ordinary time now. We are second week. Ordinary time. Christmas came, you know, in and out in a, in a hurry. Well, we're three weeks away from uh, the season of Lent. We are. Which feels like I just left the season of Lent. <laughs> it was the longest Lent of all time last year. I have decided, I know we'll probably end up talking about Lent some way in a few weeks, but I have decided I'm not going to be quite as austere this year as I was last year. I'm just praying about what the Lord wants for me this year. Yeah. I think it should Any be ideas? No ideas. Well, we know we'd be doing a reflection on um, Brother Lawrence, the presence of God. Practically, oh God. yeah, I've never read it, but it's classic. Might be something to that I might choose personally to do. Uh, but I think just diving into the liturgy and the readings that are selected, and just soaking up what the church is already uh, serving up for us, as it were, for Lent. Mm -hmm. That that alone is overwhelmingly fruitful oh yeah yeah i guess I'm, i've been working with my daughter on uh, college applications and admissions and fafsa and all that stuff i'm already experiencing lent <laughs> i can't believe i'm at the stage of life where i'm helping my daughter go through those things but it's been great yeah you know it's, it's great for her and uh, uh she will be graduating this uh this may or june i guess it's june wow uh, yeah so that's coming up and then I told her, as soon as you cross the stage, we're giving you uh, your keys and your bag. You're out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> and she's probably already. <laughs> yeah, she. I think she would. I think she would do it. Uh, but no, she's not quite there yet. Although I moved out of the house when I was 18 years old. Did you really? I did. Wow. And now I look back and go, what a fool. Well, most people aren't now. They're they're staying home when they're twenty two. Well, that's actually normal from a historical standpoint. Yeah, I, I know. I've read there was is a long time ago, but uh, there was an American who traveled to some village somewhere. It doesn't matter. And uh, the American said to this family, "Wow, your your kids, you know, they're they're well into uh, their, their their upper twenties. They're still living at home." And, and the response was, "Well, in our country, we love our children until death." Oh. <laughs> They're not like we got to get rid of them, you know. It's just a kind of a cultural phenomenon uh, there as well. But uh, but here we are. All right. So this is our first um, podcast of the of the year twenty twenty four. It is, and it is an election year, Father. Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> so they were ever enjoyable. I don't know when that was because they certainly aren't anymore yeah i i know and we got to talk a little bit about this because the bishops the united the, the council of bishops in the united states has actually spoken about this but before we get into that how you and i were talking right before we started um recording um you had said that pope francis had mentioned again just pretty much said the same thing um in his uh declaration fiducia supplicans that uh, there were no changes and people in an uproar that uh he, he pretty much what did you tell me oh i just said some people are frustrated and they might say, well, he didn't really do anything. He didn't really change anything. Or we, uh, there's really no, we, we've always done this. Yeah. Blessing people. Every person that wants a blessing gets a blessing. Uh, so in that sense, that's true. But he's defined parameters that maybe w were unclear before in, in doing that. So uh, as you said a few weeks ago, it's a nothing burger. <laughs> right. All Southern snowstorm hysteria is how I put it. Snowstorm hysteria. That's right. <laughs> and uh, I think that the the attitude should just be uh, he's changed. He's changed nothing but define rather what now a 
liturgical blessing and the spontaneous symbol blessing are, where before I never thought of them as d different. I, I blessed you after mass during the liturgy and I blessed you in the parking lot. In my mind, I didn't think there was right. any difference, but now I understand that that there has been some clarification there. So I yep. suppose that is a, the development then that he brought. So, uh, but I mean, here we are mid-January. Has anything changed here at St. Michael? Anything in liturgical life? Anything in the life? But no, nothing Nothing has been, I haven't seen it impact anything at all. Right. So uh, I don't know what other parishes are experiencing, but uh, there was certainly this attitude of the end of the world, the end of the church is near. Uh, the media continues to misrepresent over and over again every time he speaks about it like pope francis defends same-sex blessings all that lack of clarity continues that this it wasn't even only about uh, same-sex couples also about couples in irregular situations heterosexual couples in irregular relationships uh the letter was written for priests and only wasn't written to the lay faithful wasn't written to the real church uh so you know uh, he gave us the guidance that he felt we needed yeah, I was very um, surprised, maybe encouraged. Um, there was a, there's a priest. He doesn't quite have the following that, that uh, Father Mike Schmitz has, but um, he's got a pretty significant uh, following on social media. He serves in Canada, and um, you know, I would always consider him to be pretty, really traditionalist, what we call a traditionalist. But he came out and told his uh, his parish, "This is great." Right. This is wonderful. Mm -hmm. This is pastoral in every way. This is exactly what the church should be for everybody. I, don't know, I found that to be kind of a, 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 an encouraging remark uh, amid all of the mayhem and bedlam. Right. I think so. We have to remember why the church is here, which is to draw all souls to Christ. Right. And we're drawing all souls to Christ and they vote. <laughs> so let's talk, you know, so I, as we enter uh, an election year, I don't know how many election years you've had now that you've been a priest for 14 years. This is your 14th year, you know, so at least so at least at least three. I mean, what is a, what goes to the mind of a priest, especially as we approach a general election? Anything differently? I mean, we obviously in this nation continue to make sure we have to guide our people while uh, their consciences are formed, as they say. Uh, but, but quite frankly, the election seasons uh, are—they've pretty much become—is uh, the candidate pro or pro-abortion or pro-life, mm -hmm. right? So that—that's generally the way it's been uh, kicked around from from my recent memory, even before as a priest. So who are the candidates that are pro-life or the most pro-life candidate, and who is the ones that ones that are not? And so because it's so polarized. Uh, in our nation, uh, there's it, it's difficult to debate and to help form consciousness because when someone's adamantly, a candidate's adamantly pro-abortion, uh, it seems to disqualify the Catholic vote immediately because the child in the womb, every life is sacred from the womb to the tomb as we teach. Uh, but then you have uh, candidates who have other policies that that challenge the dignity of human life in others in other ways. And then you have people who want to say, well, all the issues are the same, which isn't true either. Uh, but so it's difficult. I, I have no idea, in fact, how to navigate, you know, what, who will be who will be the candidates that come. It might be pretty obvious at this point, but it's a little too early to tell 
a lot can change, I suppose. But, but it will still be emotional. Right. It'll, yeah. I'm sure it'll be ideologically. Um, the unfortunate thing is that as American people, we're really not, I don't know how much freedom we have as far as selecting our candidates. You know, we get told, here are the two, A or B, right? And there's others out there that might be better, but they'll never make it because they don't have enough money and they won't have enough media coverage. So, uh, so that, that really, that really, I see it more clearly now than I did a few, some years ago that, uh, here's A or B, right? You have to vote for A or B. Yep. You can vote for someone else too and write somebody in or this much smaller unknown candidate, but we do have to participate as citizens in the country in democracy. And this is part of that. So, uh, but it is, it is, uh, disheartening that, uh, the quality uh, of candidates and the selection and, um, the lack of even having true debates and isn't there. So it's mostly just a, a show of vitriolic uh, rancor and ideological shifting. So um, I definitely don't enjoy it. So I don't really know how to say what will happen by November, but I'm sure that we'll be guided by the bishops to focus on what we need to focus on for preparing the people to uh, elect. But the primaries are already underway, so people shouldn't be paying attention to those probably more than the presidential election, because this apparently is when we select our candidates. Right. Right. So, but I know I, oh, a, a teacher of mine says, uh, here's democracy in the United States. It's uh, of course, I'll get the math wrong because I'm just freelancing here. He says democracy in the United States is when uh, 40, 49.1% of the population tells the other 48 point uh two percent to how they're going to live for the next four years <laughs> right yeah. it, it's, it's interesting that it's it seems to always be so close like that too i said are we is it always are we so i mean are we so perfectly divided that there's only a few more percentage points that this nation just <laughs> oh i remember the reagan election back in the 80s it was a total landslide i think that's the only landslide i've ever been a part of but i was just a little boy yeah I just remember seeing the red all over the country, and there was like Ted Koppel and Peter Jennings on the screen. I don't know if you even remember those guys. I'm dating myself now, well, but uh, way too, but much younger. Yeah, I think it's become uh, my, my earliest memories of us becoming very polarized would be uh, Bush Gore and the, the Supreme Court decision. I think that had a, a seismic effect on uh, on the electric in this country, where it became very partisan. Well, I mean. The reality is, is that you don't get beyond Democrat Republican labels in most cases, and whatever that means, whatever that represents. And if you're, if you, I say I'm a Democrat or a Republican, then that's just the end. There's no discussion. There won't, there won't be a discussion. We'll be just infighting. Um, that's what my experience is, what I see. Mm -hmm. uh, no, no room for another party. No, no other thought uh, can really enter the fore. Mm -hmm. And obviously the dynamics of both parties have shifted in time. You know, now we have Republicans touting for the middle class when I thought that was what the Democrats were supposed to be about. So, uh, and then, you, you know, Democrats seem to just buy for abortion on every level. So it's like the party of abortion is a Democratic Party. So I'm sure there's people out there who don't remember the Democratic Party being that way, but now that it is, right? So, um, but it, it is it is difficult to see how one can... Uh, 
go much beyond the uh, the ideologies that we're presented with. Right. Well, and uh, speak, it, takes a lot, it takes a lot of effort. Well, speaking of ideology, so the, the bishops know this. And so this is a uh, draft. Uh, uh, the, I think the title of it is the annual report on the state of religious liberty in the United States. Now, this was published uh, just a couple of days ago. So this is fresh off the, uh, the press. Now, this is a 50 page document. I didn't take the time to read the all 50 pages. You know, I just go right to the back. So uh, like in all things, right, just skip to the very end. Um, but it, they do offer some counsel to the Catholic voting bloc. And they want us as uh, bishops, they want us as Catholics to think as Catholics this year. And uh, so this is a section seven. And I'm not going to go over every point, but some of the main points that I, I drew from it. Uh, regarding the forecast. So this is the, the section is called the Religious Liberty Forecast for 2024. So it says that here are some of the areas to watch in terms of religious liberty in the United States for the upcoming year. Uh, here's the first one. He's speaking, they're speaking to the Catholics. Hostility toward ministries serving newcomers will continue. Newcomers, what's that? Immigrants. So immigration, particularly the situation at the U.S.-Mexico border, will be one of the dominant issues of the presidential election. The platform of at least one major party candidate includes defunding nonprofit organizations that serve migrants. And it is possible that the party's nominee, whoever it is, will endorse this measure to some degree. Efforts in Congress to investigate Catholic ministries serving newcomers may receive new momentum if the Republican nominee adopts a similarly hostile position. Now, I did a little bit of research on this. There's actually a provision somewhere, a proposed bill, that if you are an agency that's not tied to the government and you are serving migrants and immigrants, you can be defunded. So that's Catholic Charities. Uh, that would be the presumption. But I'm just saying I'm, that is Catholic Charities. That's what they do, Okay. especially in their own diocese. Right helping you know migrants and giving them what they need to be established and again i don't know you know if there's evaluations of you know legality of why a person is here you know or how a person is in our country but i think that the uh catholic charities is there's a person in need we don't ask how did you get here mm -hmm. uh, here they are right so that's that's the issue that's the debate right so uh, again what is the response uh now there's going to be a national response, right? Mm -hmm. People will say, "Well, you're not here legally, so deportation." Right. So the Catholic Church is here to say, "There's a human being in front of me who's who's here, distressed. I don't know why they're here, how they got here. Maybe it was illegally." And is that the church's role to uh, say, "Oh, well, you're not here legally, so I guess we should turn you in, and uh, you know, you need to go back to your uh, your own country." Mm -hmm. So. Uh, Obviously, that's a massive realm of debate, and of course it is. And the government has to uh, make decisions on every government has to make decisions on who comes to into the country. Absolutely, and I don't think that I think this idea that well, you you, you uh, are taking care of people here illegally, you don't want borders, you don't want protection. Well, that's absurd. That's absurd. You know, so uh, and there's no country on this planet that doesn't have security. I mean, I can't just decide to go to Italy or decide to go to China or some other nation and just go in there and Canada and just, you know, just say, oh, you have security at the border. I'm going to just ignore that. And uh, I mean, those are a nation has uh, the rights to make laws to secure itself. So uh, but that there are I mean, 
I don't know what to say why people come illegally into the United States. Obviously, one would be a better life, a safer life, fleeing from a oppressive regime or something like that, looking for a new beginning. Uh, okay, now that's a person who's trying to to uh, have a new life. Obviously, people take advantage of anything. So, but again, you started by saying we need to think with the Catholic mind and the heart mind of the church, and that's going to be the underpinning that, that we should return to for the next several months because you can't think like a Democrat or a Republican. That's exactly right. And we are. That's why they wrote this. And and that's just that's what we have to begin to do now. Uh, the other issue is being involved in the political life, and the more that the Catholic lay faithful do not to get involved, and that doesn't mean I go vote. That's my involvement. Yes, that's important, but trying to make headway, getting into politics, uh, getting into policy locally uh, and local government. I mean, just every, that everyone thinks, oh, I should be in politics. Must be in, I must have to get to Congress and get to Washington. No, get involved in city council, get involved on uh, school boards, get involved in maybe state legislature, uh, local uh, mayor races. I don't know, mm -hmm. but some people have those talents and those gifts. And the more we just recede right and just say well i'm just not going to get involved this is too hard it is very difficult i can't even imagine uh, but the, the guarantee is if we definitely do nothing then those will just bulldoze over the rest of us with their uh, agendas yeah yeah and uh, uh and we have a moral obligation as catholics to care for the immigrant and that comes right out of the scriptures uh, if you look at the uh, the old testament it's interesting, the command to love your neighbor, it appears twice in the Torah, twice, love your neighbor. But the other command to love the stranger and the alien appears 36 times, according to the rabbis, far more than the command to love your neighbor. So there was a great rabbi who once says, if you're really gonna weigh, put it in the scales, what the kind of love God wants, the, the command to love the alien, the stranger, and the immigrant, always even the love to neighbor. Why? Because they are, for all of us, sometimes the hardest to love. We don't know them. So I think, as, 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 as what the bishops are trying to say, we have a moral obligation to uphold the dignity and the rights of the stranger. It doesn't mean we don't say, well, you know, we don't have borders. It doesn't mean any of that, but we have a responsibility to care for them. And the bishops are warning us as Catholics, don't get sucked into the, the rhetoric because behind it could be something that's against our social teaching. Right. Right. And they have to, the nation has to judge how it evaluates um, people here illegally. Well, yes. I mean, that, that, that's, I mean, that's going to be something that they have to handle. But um, the church's, the church's mind would be, well, Every human person has equal dignity. It doesn't matter whether they're here legally or not, right? The human dignity remains. So we have to figure out how we respond in the midst of this crisis, right? Because it is a crisis uh, on some level. Oh, it's a crisis. It's, it's a word crisis is not a made up word. Uh, it's definitely constantly underway. Uh, and the, the country has to, uh, has to work to figure out how to handle the situation yes and those that are that are already here and uh, obviously those there there are people who could be here that are you know here illegally and they're doing horrible things in the country taking advantage of every system and uh, who knows bringing in drugs or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. committing crimes other great crimes 
and they're already here illegally. So, uh, but then you have people who are running for their lives, maybe, and trying to get away from um, a horrible culture to to start over. And yes, they are here illegally too. Women um, and children and families, and now what? So, okay. I'm glad I don't have to make that. I don't have to find the solution to that. Sure, but as Catholics, we have to be aware. Sure. You know, so you, you, even the Catholic, if, the Catholic response isn't, I mean, we're not going to find in the catechism uh, some de facto, well, we have to be for deportation. Sure. Or something like that. No, no. So, um, okay, so that's the first one to be mindful of. The second one uh, that they forecast would be, and this would become probably as no surprise, abortion and Dobbs, uh, the case that overturned Roe v. Wade as a campaign issue. Um, abortion remains a primary focus of the national political debate. For the bishops, it remains the preeminent issue. Now, this is language right out of uh, uh uh, this is from the National Catholic Reporter back in November of 2023, November 15th. Uh, the U.S. Catholic bishops decided on November 15th, just a couple of months ago, at their General Assembly here that the threat of abortion will remain the preeminent priority for their political guidance to Catholic voters in the year leading up to the 2024 presidential election. Uh, promotion of access to abortion tends to be associated with hostility toward the exercise of beliefs about ab abortion, such as religious and conscientious objections to participating in or facilitating abortion. After Dobbs, the Committee for Religious Liberty braced for a wave of efforts to curtail the exercise of religious objections to abortion. Uh, this did not materialize to the extent feared, but there are some not notable examples. I'm going to say a few things. Uh, supporters of abortion are often hostile toward the idea that morality can be a basis for public policy. Access to abortion is often framed as freedom from religion, characterizing religion as oppressive. A familiar slogan in the abortion debates has been, keep your rosaries off my ovaries. Um, but it cannot, it's not a, it's not just a religious objection for Catholics. It's more than that. Uh, how would you, how would you say, um, it is a fundamental life issue, not a religious issue. Right. Yeah, because we believe in the dignity of the human person. So that's where, that's what the defense is. It's not a religious principle. Yeah. That uh, one doesn't bring oneself into existence, that all life is a gift. Um, one is not here because one person has chosen to be. Sure. Uh, and so when we look at our own nation in the struggles with civil rights, for example, you know that all are created equal men and women every race, creed, color. Uh, and we have a history in our nation of our own people rising up to defend the rights and the dignity of a person, especially with uh, regards to racism and slavery. And yes, horrible evil, but Americans stood up and fought against that evil and tried to, you know, influence the culture, right? To see everybody as a brother and sister, right? So that wasn't that wasn't a, a religious a principle of a religion. Like, oh, that's just a facet of faith. I don't need to, it's a, this is that every human person has an inherent dignity that we don't, that the state doesn't determine that. The state doesn't decide and vote, oh, you have value and you don't, but that's what's happening when abortion and other things against other crimes against humanity uh, are allowed to be controlled by the state. So you have to, we have to first understand you know, that every human person has inherent dignity that comes from God, not from the state, not from the country, not from the government. The government doesn't 
give and impart upon this person their dignity. What do you say to people? Because this is out there as well. The bishops have said this is the preeminent priority. Okay, we will be it to the bishops. We will make this a preeminent priority for us. But I brought up my daughter to begin the podcast. I just happened to have a conversation with her very recently. And her statement to me was, why does the Catholic Church only focus on abortion? It seems that whenever I hear from a bishop or their uh, Catholics are on the news, it's always about abortion. But what about poverty? What about health care? What about education? What about the war happening uh, in Israel? What about the children being bombed in the, in Gaza City? Why doesn't the Catholic Church speak uh, about that? Because it seems that they're just all about only abortion, <laughs> you know, and I from which I told her, I said, you mean sola abortion, you know, kind of a sola fide, sola scriptura. Uh, what do you what do you say to young people or even just Catholics in general who have the same kind of thinking that it's but it's Catholic social teaching is broader than just abortion? Well, it certainly is. Right. But I think that the issue with abortion is because of the, the manner in which the human person is attacked, which is in the womb. So it's the most defenseless state a human person can be in you know, wars and other. I mean, there's there's there is the ability for a person to at least have some access to defense, even to uh, to scream out for help, right? Or to run and hide or whatever. Uh, but a child in the womb has no defense whatsoever, cannot, cannot cry for help, can't, you know, avoid it. So uh, that I think is why the church continually says, you know, the preeminent issue is abortion, but doesn't mean it's it, it, um, the only thing we focus on. The problem is, is that in our own nation, it's so ideological with abortion. It's the, the flag. It's the flag of, of parties. You know, we're for abortion and we're, we're against abortion or to what varying degrees. Right. So when that's the only thing that differentiates the front running uh, party candidates, it can certainly become that way. But there are we there are issues in the church that the church teaches on and it's Catholic social teaching, social teaching, which is broader than just focusing on the sacredness of life in the womb, but because the life in the womb is sacred, that's why all life is sacred. So that's why we do care about the immigrant, the, the war-torn uh, people that are uh, sex trafficking, um, racism, all these things that euthanasia, they're all different levels, but they're all attacks and denigrations of um, the human person. I mean, we should obviously be against uh, pornography and child pornography, because they denigrate and devalue the human person. You know, why is why is the church uh, anime against slavery? Because it denigrates and devalues the human person. Um, so uh, we have to look at it with a, with a holistic approach. But part of the frustration is is there seems to be little room to begin to debate and work on these other issues and protections because. There's such a vehement, uh, apparently or seemingly stark contrast in candidates that put for themselves up for election in our country is, well, we're here first to tell you that we're for abortion. We're here to tell you that we're against abortion. And so then then there's that. And then so well, the one who's for abortion is also seems to be concerned about uh, having more peace or uh, figuring out how to revital or to reform immigration or even health care. So yeah, but they do not, they don't have any policies that are protect life in the womb. 
because you have to be alive for all of those other uh, right. laws to apply. Right. It comes down to a fundamental logic. But I sensed her frustration and the frustration of others. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that, that she picks up on that. I guess that means that even in her generation, messaging seems to be that way. It's not what the church teaches. We have a whole body of Catholics left to teach it. Right. Right. But, but again, with the media, the way it, it works, it does seem that, that that's just the issue. It's not only, you say, why are Catholics only focused on abortion? Well, it's also where the media continues to go to define the approach of different people. Right? It seems to me the media will say, well, this is a pro-abortion, anti-abortion group, candidate, individual, religious movement, couching it, defining it with its, its approach towards the affirmation or rejection of abortion. Yeah. So that's just, I mean, that it just feeds itself. And that's my opinion. I don't I haven't done research on this. I don't know that to be the case, but uh, what is what seems to be the buzzword? Right? Yeah. And we should probably look into some of the principles of Catholic social teaching, maybe another podcast. I know I've seen a document through the, uh, the USCCB, the seven key themes of, of Catholic social teaching, and they touch all of us and they touch our partisanship in every direction as well. Um, but that frustration is there. But the bishops are saying, nevertheless, abortion, it's preeminent and it will be exploited this year. Uh, it'll be a central uh, talking point. All right. The third one, gender ideology as a campaign issue. The topic of gender ideology will likely play a similarly prominent role in the presidential campaign as the topic of abortion. As with abortion, support of gender ideology tends to be associated with hostility to the exercise of religious beliefs and moral convictions, upholding the sexual difference between men and women. In the arena of messaging, those who promote affirmation of LGBT identities tend to frame their position as one of love, acceptance, and equality. While those who oppose gender ideology generally argue that their position is foremost a matter of truth and common sense. Catholicism maintains the reciprocal relationship between love and truth. As such, the church and individual Catholic faithful will be challenged to maintain this authentic voice as the two competing narratives dominate the conversation on this itch issue. So what the, the bishops are saying is that the Catholic way is right in the middle. We are about a loving, but we are about truth. It's not bifurcated in any way. Uh, but I see this as definitely as a growing the tidal wave uh, that's uh, that's encroaching on the on the church. Sure, I think you're right about that. Uh, yep. Fourth, number four, partisanship and division within the church itself. <laughs> Catholics will, as much as ever, and they're speaking about this year, be seen as a target demographic for partisan appeal during the 2024 election. Yeah. Well, I've seen that. Uh, I've seen that about every four years. I know there was one candidate who said to a group of Catholics. You have to vote for me. You have no choice. I'm your, uh, you have no choice. You can't vote for the other guy because he's for abortion. He's that and the other. The pressure of the election will exacerbate trends of partisan division within the church and the pull of party, party over faith. Uh, this dynamic is not new. It's not unique to Catholics, nor will it disappear anytime soon, but it will be especially salient in 2024. And the long-term standing of the church in the public square requires a conscience and sustained turn away from partisanship and toward the gospel. Your thoughts on that? Partisanship within the church. Well said. That party over uh, 
faith. Is that what it said? Well, yeah, well, we can't think that way. It said party of a platform. What's, you, what's, what's the phrase that was that they, they, they sat there? Well, I don't know exactly where, which phrase was just that the, it'll be trend. It says that this dynamic is not new, but it will be especially salient in 2024. And the longstanding of the church in the public square requires a conscious and sustained turn away from partisanship toward the gospel. It was right before that. The pressures of the election will exacerbate trends of partisan division within the church and the pull of party over faith. Yeah. There, yeah party over faith. So we got to be on guard about that at all times. Yeah. But oh, but do we know our faith well enough to? Uh, well, there you go. I'll speak on that. That's the danger is that I would, we already know from looking at the results of the discussions of the Synod that one of the things that's uh, prevalent not only in the United States, but in other nations is the lack of understanding of Catholic social teaching. Yeah. I mean, in the fullness of what that is. Yes. I'm not sure Catholics say, well, I know we're against abortion dignity of human person and euthanasia and physicians, physician assisted suicide with all things we immediately oppose uh, as, as we should because the gospel calls us to that. But that does not the period follow that point. There's way more uh, Catholic social teaching uh, that's there. And if we don't know that uh, body of teaching, then uh, we'll continue to uh, just sort of guide the nation uh, Without that, without that guidance that uh, that the church is giving us. Yep, yep. Well, then they uh, the bishops going to list what they they forecast are the five largest threats to religious liberty in twenty twenty four. I'll go over these real quick. Five threats. So we talked about the five things that they well four things that they see in the forecast. And I'll remind you again: hostility toward immigrants. Don't be pulled into that. Uh, abortion as just a religious issue. Don't be pulled into that. Um, and what was the other one uh, just now? Partisanship within the church. Don't be pulled into partisanship as Catholics as well. But what they see is uh, threats. This is their forecast. Number one, which is a surprise to me, uh, they see uh, attacks on houses of worship as the uh, predominant threat of 2024. Um, the Committee on Religious Liberty regards attacks on houses of worship as the largest threat to religious liberty in 2024. Were this threat limited to a continuation of property crimes that have been perpetuated on Catholic churches over recent years, perhaps it would not be the committee's chief concern. However, boiling tensions over Israel-Hamas conflict have elevated the chances of a terrorist attack on a synagogue or a mosque. Meanwhile, the highly charged atmosphere around the 2024 election might lead far-left extremists to escalate the severity of attacks on Catholic churches. And far-right extremists may view Catholic churches and Catholic charities as targets for anti-immigrant sentiment or worse, violent action. That's number one. They fear attacks on houses of worship. Number two. The second greatest threat to religious liberty, according to the bishops, would be Section 1550, 1557 regulation. Um, no foreseeable legal development in 2024 poses a greater threat to religious liberty than the Health and Human Services Section 1557 regulation. Despite lip service paid to concerns of religious liberty, it appears to be specifically intended to force Catholic hospitals and religious health care workers to perform harmful gender transition procedures, including on children. Among the various federal regulations advancing gender ideology, its harms are the most severe. The final regulation may also include a mandate 
to perform abortions. And so this would also uh, include at Catholic hospitals as well. So this is a proposed bill from the Health and Human Services. It's uh, section 1557, and the bishops are asking us to speak out against it. Uh, in other words, what it would do is it, if you are someone who wants to object to giving transgender surgery right. to someone, that would you would be considered discrimination. You could be sued. Right. That's the second threat. Any comments on that? No, that's all news to me, but it makes sense. I mean, it's the same with the, with, with the uh, politics regarding abortion and trying to get that to be to, to eliminate conscientious objections to that. Yeah. And by the way, everybody listening, I, I did not tell Father what we were talking about today, so I'm unloading on him right now. All right. So the third greatest threat that the bishops see is threats. And we just spoke about this a moment ago, is threats to Catholic ministries serving immigrants. They call them newcomers. Uh, welcoming the stranger, feeding the hungry, sheltering the homeless. These fundamental calls to Christian service are at the heart of Catholic service to newcomers, which is itself a core ministry of the church. What is uh, proposed is that, uh, as we said, those who service the newcomers or immigrants will be denied funding. Um, denying public aid to a religious charity because it heeds this gospel call is a paradigmatic example of an unconstitutional condition on government funds. Let your representatives in Congress know that you support immigration reform for the common good, but not violations of the religious freedom of charities striving to serve newcomers in need. Puts it out there very holistically. Yeah, number four, the fourth greatest threat, uh, the suppression of religious speech upholding marriage and sexual difference. Um, the right to free exercise of religion and the right to free speech often intersect on matters of sexual orientation and gender identity. Uh, in numerous settings, individuals are being pressured to conform to the orthodoxy of gender ideology. In 2024, this pressure may have the force of law via various federal agency actions, including the Title IX regulation and the EEOC's enforcement of its guidance on workplace harassment. Uh, there are new freedoms more basic. There are few freedoms more basic or more inherent to the American political and social order than the right to say what is true and not to be compelled to profess what is false. People of faith must guard against erosion of this right. Uh, be an example, he's calling all of us, be an example of how people of faith can voice beliefs about marriage and sexual difference with clarity and compassion. Uh, the USCCB initiative, Marriage Upholding uh, Unique for a Reason, is a valuable resource for parishes. Uh, in other words, our, our right to speak out as Catholics will be suppressed. That, that's that's the greatest threat. Um, and the fifth greatest threat is the EEOC's Pregnant Workers Fairness Act regulation. I won't read through this, but there is a provision in place right now, and the Catholic Church is asking uh, the faithful to stand against it, um, that uh, abortion for women who undergo abortion, they must be entitled to the same leave mm -hmm. rights as women who have uh, a child. So what we would call maternity leave or paternity leave, there must be a provision for those who seek to have an abortion. They must have a time off to recover from that uh, as well. So those are the, the top five threats to religious freedom. And if you stand against it, if you are like a Catholic church, you've got an employee who you would not be able to say no. Yeah, that's, that's and that'll be creating more confusion because if you're putting that against when who's choosing to have a child, there's only one who's choosing to abort a child, giving them leave, makes 
makes the child irrelevant. It's like, well, it doesn't matter. Right. So that's the danger. One of the great dangers I see about that kind of a bill going through. Well, we're just going to be bombarded with just the messaging and commercials and ads and everywhere we look. I mean, I, the, the, I'm exhausted just thinking about what, what lies ahead. It's going to be so vitriolic and it's going to be so, yeah. But I think if we can get in front of it and spiritually, you know, prepare ourselves by prayer and focusing on what the church teaches and Catholic social teaching and spending time in prayer and the gospel and closeness to Christ and not in resisting as much as we can to be pulled into the vitriolic nature of what's going to happen is happening and we should expect to happen at, at a fuller scale than maybe ever before in the months ahead so just to expect it but not to say well i need to be plugged into the media outlets in the next 10 months to stay uh, on point with everything you know we need to probably spend the time more learning our faith getting firmly rooted in it so that our consciences are formed and by the time election time comes yeah i often say to some of our uh, newest converts that if you try to compartmentalize catholicism or your catholic faith it'll drive you crazy it can't be compartmentalized right and what the bishops are trying to say and th th what the church has always said is that you cannot wear a catholic hat in one arena and take it off in another you are Catholic in every arena, in every venue of public life. And as Catholics, we have an obligation to always speak as Catholics and with the mind of the church on all of these issues. Because you find that, you know, you may be a Republican, but Catholic social teaching on an issue that the Republican Party may be touting is at variance with Catholic social teaching. And you need to stand up for the Catholic social teaching, even as a Republican. Indeed. And the same thing with a Democrat. You know, there's you may be a Democrat and there are things that will bump up against Catholic social teaching. You as a Democrat are Catholic first. Right. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Father, thank uh, you. for this time. I think that'll be important for our listeners that it's probably good to have a forecast so early in to get our minds prepped way on way earlier. Yeah, that's right. And again, the, the name of the document, uh, it was the Annual Report on Religious Liberty. It's uh, for, on the USCCB website, the United Catholic, uh, United States Council of Catholic Bishops. Is that what it is? And you can download this. It's 50 pages long, but the issues that we were speaking about come in section seven and section eight, and you can read it for yourself. It may be in a future podcast, maybe next week. We'll look at some of the key tenets of Catholic social teaching and what that means, because I know when we had a conversation about the Synod, the Synod was very clear. Catholics, by and large, are not informed about right. Catholic social teaching. That's true. All right. Well, thank you, Father, for right, joining us again. You. Thank you all for listening. If you want more information about our parish, visit our website at stmccg.org. And remember, everyone, stay always on the bark of Peter. God bless. Bye-bye.